0: today? What is your, what is your meter telling you? My meter is telling me that I am just slightly below normal. So I'll take that.
1: Why you, why do you feel that way?
0: I am coming off of a trip last week, which I did have to call you Thursday night to get some Mary Ward advice. And it was a hard trip. It was my first trip. I did a speaking engagement and it was my first trip without any type of um, emotional support person with me, or as you said, anchor. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because it was a group of, it was military related. It was of course, ahead of veterans day. And I was going to be speaking about caregiving and Tom's death. And it was very hard to do that. I had prepped and prepared and I can talk about it all day long, but sometimes when the environment is just right, it makes it really difficult and bring, brings things forward, mm-hmm. the emotions forward a lot. I think it was that. And then today I went to the store and and it was nothing but Christmas. Mm-hmm. And last year I completely ignored Christmas we really didn't celebrate Um, it was our first year after Tom died and so this year I'm I think I'm forcing myself to 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 get into the Christmas spirit but it's kind of dull kind of like when your kids get older and the shiny glittery Christmas when they believe in Santa Claus
1: Mm
0: -hmm. is over because they no longer do There's just a dullness to the excitement of Christmas now. Mm -hmm. So I feel I'm trying to fake it, you know, to make it, but it's really super hard. It takes a lot of energy to do Mm -hmm. that.
1: So you're going to have more of that. What are your strategies going to be? Do you think are you going to make them up on the fly?
0: I think I'll make them up on the fly. I've got some in place that we used during the ALS journey where we, really switched out our traditions because traditions, I knew traditions would be hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so this year, Trey and I are just trying to figure out what we're going to do, what feels right. And I know that one thing is, is we're not going to push ourselves. i am mm-hmm. done with that. Either pushing myself out of my comfort zone for other people, um, you know, just to make other people happy. I'm I'm not going to do that this year.
1: Well, and that was a little bit of our conversation last week when you called me. Yeah. I was your um, virtual anchor and you, you called were. and yeah, and you were, I mean, first of all, I want to say that you gave yourself a lot of grace, which was, was good because it's not easy to always give yourself grace or to even recognize that you need to give yourself grace, that you could be forgiving to yourself or kind to yourself. And, um, and, and also I think you didn't do what you didn't want to do. You you yeah, you didn't do what you what you you didn't do what you thought was expected of you. You 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 behaved in a way that was
0: the best for you at that moment. Gosh, that right. was to get out. <laughs> I, that was a hard one. No, you're right. And so for our listeners, so part of what I did was I wrote I arrived at the event the day before the event and there was going and it was it was held near um a city that has a Air Force base near it um, in the community. And the organization had invited some active duty families for like a little meet and greet. And I was like all on board. And, And believe it or not, I was actually looking forward to doing all these things because I'm trying to really push myself to get out of my comfort zone and create a new comfort zone. And I stood there in the in this meet and greet, watching all of these very young Air Force, you know, uh, active duty and their, their spouses, these families. And, and I'll be honest, it, it, it kind of brought me back to when Tom and I were a young Air Force couple. Mm -hmm. And so that was a little hard. And then I had a few folks ask me, you know, why I was there. How was I related to the organization? What was, you know, what was I doing there? And I had to explain to them that I was giving um, a talk and my subject was on caregiving and, and loss. And so having to explain it to them while I can, I can do it in I don't know, in safe areas, explaining it to people that aren't familiar with my story was really hard because you you say the words, I was a caregiver, and I am no longer a caregiver because my husband died last year. Then you get the look mm-hmm. and you get the oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for your loss. And it, it just, it, sometimes it can be hard. I, I I say all the time, I overestimate my abilities to handle situations because mm-hmm. my head says, I got this. I can do this. I used to do this stuff all the time before ALS came into our world. I can do this. I'm still the same, Laura. I'm not. I'm not. And I can't. <laughs> and recognizing that is sometimes really hard. And that was I really why. I needed to talk to you. I needed that support because I was feeling really feeling guilty, feeling defeated a little bit, feeling like, why, why can't I do the things that my head says I can do? Mm-hmm. Like after this meet and greet, we were supposed to have a, like a cocktail hour. I got dressed everything. I even put on makeup, which is like, I never do that anymore, but I put on makeup and got dressed and was feeling good and looking good and went down on the elevator, walked out, saw a whole group of people spun around, got back on the elevator and Mm -hmm. back to my room. And that's when I texted you and said, Hey, are you available? It was just the anxiety, the level of anxiety that was just coursing through me Mm -hmm. was more than I could handle.
1: Well, I think that's where you really gave yourself grace in the biggest, most beautiful yeah. way possible because you said, Well, this might be expected of me to be here, but I can't, I'm not going to do it because I just, I'm not ready for that. You know, the first time going out and speaking, um, even if you were not formally speaking, but going out into, you know, largely a group of people that you don't know who do, do not know your story is very different than the cocoon that you normally are in. So you've done some speaking in other areas and with the VA and with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. And then, you know, you have all of us, not just me, but all the fellows and then all the other caregivers in the ALS lane and in the VA system that you know and are familiar with and they know your story. They know Laura Gary and they know your story. So you don't have to start from the beginning, first of all. And then you're also sharing it with people who have an understanding, who in a lot of ways will have empathy with you, for you, with you. I I agree.
0: And there's a level of, I do. Yeah. There's a level of feeling protected in this community of caregivers and, you know, our, our hidden heroes community includes survivors. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is, you're right, there is a level of um, just feeling protected, feeling like I don't have to explain because everybody's been on this ride with me. Mm -hmm. So it's not not the first time they're hearing or I'm having to say, hi, my name is Laura. I'm a widow. Mm -hmm. And that was the hard part. And I made it through the next day through the speech. And, you know, coming off the stage, I had, um, they were handing out, you know, little gifts for the the speakers and the gentleman that handed me my gift uh, was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Can I give you a hug? And I was at like, absolutely. I miss those. And the man next to him was the same way. He's like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Can I give you a hug? I was like, Absolutely. And that was an easier interaction, even though like I'm hugging these strangers, than because I didn't get that look from them. Mm-hmm. I felt it was a very genuine, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I think sometimes I hear, I'm so sorry for your loss. And it, it just feels more like it's a canned answer mm-hmm. because maybe someone is absolutely uncomfortable with the idea that we're face to face and they have to now, you know, mm-hmm. interact with me.
1: Right. And I think that also, I, and I understand that because when I tell people that Tom has ALS and in particular, when we first moved here, it was very uncomfortable. Why is your husband in a wheelchair? Which is like a weird question in a way, but I, I'm not sure. I don't, I would never ask anybody. Why is your husband in a wheelchair? <laughs> so, yeah, he looks fine. Yeah, so if he looks healthy, why is he in a chair? A rather forward question to ask, you know. Um, but when I've told people that, it's put a distance between me and them. And it's resulted in 10 years of living here without having friends that are friends, that we're, f- mm-hmm. we're friends regardless of anything. Like, I, like I don't, I'm not ALS. Like, my face is not ALS. And neither is Tom. Right. So we're individual people and it's, it's hard to move out of away from that. Cause while you're in this lane of like ALS awareness, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like you're ALS, but like, we are so multidimensional as people, all of us are, mm-hmm. and you become the label. But, and that's hard to break through because you don't normally like for Tom and I, when we're out, we do have one couple that we go to lunch with occasionally, but we don't want to talk about ALS there. They don't know really much about it other than that Tom that Tom has it. That's been a long time. It took a long time to actually go to lunch with them for them to not want to do things for us. Well, I'm not friends with you because I want you to do things for us because he's got ALS. But, and that seems to be what it, it tended to be for a very long time. Every time I met people here, you know, well, do you think you can go to lunch? Well, I'm not really sure. I'll have to see, say my husband is, oh, what's wrong with your husband? Well, you know, I mean, you're just honest, you know. You're so uh-huh. honest. Oh, well, can I bring you lunch? No, I didn't ask for you to bring me lunch. That's, that's, that is that's not where we're going. I'm just telling you why we can't do something like that. So it's like this whole this whole sympathy thing. That's my point. That's what I'm getting at here is the whole sense of sympathy that you were feeling the other day and that I think a lot of us can relate to, and I, I don't know how many people listen to our podcasts that are not involved with ALS, but if you are, you're listening to us because you probably understand things like terminal diseases and the difficulty. For a long time, I listened to Brene Brown's podcast. She no longer has active um, podcasts, but you can always find her podcasts on you can always find them on spotify but you probably could find them on any podcast platform that you listen to and she's written numerous books and when i was studying like mindfulness and um, training to be a yoga teacher i had to read one of her books and i came across something in there that she wrote about sympathy um and she write she writes that sympathy is the near enemy of empathy just the opposite, in fact. Sympathy draws a clear line between the person suffering and ourselves. In other words, sympathy is feeling bad for someone, but being unable or unwilling to relate to that person.
0: I get it. I think that's that feeling. I When I said it feels sometimes like it's canned because they are either just really have zero clue on what we're going through or it's just so uncomfortable that there's just this quick hand answer. I'm so sorry.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so, yeah, so no, I totally relate to that. What about
1: the next one? So this is the last one for me for today, but empathy is a skill that can bring people together and make people feel included while sympathy creates an uneven Power dynamic and can lead to more isolation and disconnection. It's an unfortunate outcome, given that sympathy is usually coming from a good place. Which I totally like, agree wholeheartedly with that. It can be a division, and it often has been for me, particularly since I moved here. And sometimes even within the caregiving network that we're in, because we're we're all in this. We're on this caregiver lane or this caregiver area, and. Some of, many of the caregivers that we know are not caring for somebody. In fact, most aren't, aren't caring for somebody who has terminal disease. And so then you're like the separate one. You're like, oh, there she is over there. She's the one who has, he's got ALS. Like that kind of thing. Her husband's dying. Her husband's. And then you want to, then like Tom will say, as he has said in a couple of meetings with our financial advisors, you don't have to say when I pass, I'm going to croak. (laughs) going to happen. I'm just going to croak. Like you're going to croak too someday. I probably just my my bell's going to be rung just low sooner than yours. Mhm. Because he's not afraid to say what it is, you know. And it it becomes I mean it's not like you want to always have that as a cocktail conversation, but you were in a place where you're talking about big things in people's lives in the military and veteran communities.
0: Right. And for us it was hard for me to distinguish myself you know, saying that I was more than just a caregiver because it was just so all consuming Mm -hmm. from about 2019 till he, he passed and, or he croaked in (laughs) 20, in 2022. And so far our listeners, my husband just laughed out loud on that one too, by the way, (laughs) he thought that was funny. Um, I know he did. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't get over it right because you can just see tom whizzing by in his wheelchair pushing a bag of dog food for me again and saying yes hey, i'm trying to croak someday i'm trying to croak
0: <laughs> let me do it while i can um but yeah it was hard to distinguish because it was just so consuming his care was so i didn't identify as anything other than tom tom's caregiver it was even hard sometimes to identify as Tom's wife and Trey's mom, because I was just so underwater most days with the caregiving aspect of things.
1: Yeah, you probably could hardly breathe at the end of the day. I was thinking how opposite our, our husband's journeys are with ALS. And I was, I was pulling some paper earlier, which was kind of a not a great. You cannot pull paper and put um, sunflower seeds in there. In case anybody's wondering, it it doesn't work.
0: You know, I was just wondering that this morning. So thanks for yeah setting so me straight.
1: straight. I figured I want to set you straight on that. They're way too bulky. They're
0: not like little poppy seeds. You know. Yeah. In my free time, I was like, why doesn't she put sunflower seeds in there?
1: Yeah, you thought that would really sell, right? <laughs> yeah, it probably would if you could have that magic happen, you know. But it yeah, does. so I definitely. I mean, figure them. it out before Tom croaks. Yeah. Uh, he went in after he figured out that, oh, that's is- do it. Yeah. So he went in, he goes in every afternoon. I've probably explained this numerous times on the podcast, but for somebody who's just listening for the first time, he goes in to his very comfortable or very comfortable bedroom on his beautiful hospital bed and he goes on his breathing machine and he studies and reads about music and painting and watches lots of YouTube videos while he's in there and he might play the guitar, which is kind of the same, same, fairly the same tune over and over, similar to sounding what is before and after our podcast, because that is by Tom Warren. And he really never, never, he has it in his head that he must play, like he has these songs that he must play, but
0: he doesn't really advance. And that's okay. They cause... all sound like the intro to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's
1: Tom Warren. So, well, I was thinking when he went in, he went in earlier today. He's not been feeling so strong. He's got, I think he's got some core muscle loss here. Um, but I was alone, you know, that's the isolation part, you know. So I was alone. I was pulling paper and I, you know, I wasn't really, I, you know, I made it work. I just pulled plain pieces of paper, which I need to practice some things on and use for different things. So it was, it was fine. Um, and I knew we were podcasting. So that worked out. And I have a couple orders to fill. So I have some things to fill my time. That's really what um, Cosmary Ravenism for me is to be able to fill the time. You would have died, not croaked. You would have died (laughs) to have had the kind of time that I have on my hands at times. I can't go anywhere. I have to be here, but I can't, you know, you could have somebody sit here and babysit. And so why would I have to be here? Well, if he has to get up to go to the bathroom, I have to go help him get up. He can't get out of bed by himself. And if his insulin drops, I have to be able to get him something to eat because that's the big danger, right? Is insulin dropping. So I have to be here and it's isolating because there's really nobody else around, you know, people doing things that I like to do. And, and for you, that time was incredibly busy. And if you had
0: five minutes, you were happy. Right. If I had five minutes, I, I was so confused of what to do with those five minutes. Mm -hmm. Do I? do I sit down and rest? Do I try to grab something to eat? Do I go visit Trey for five minutes? Do I, what do I do five minutes? It was hard. It was really, but, but you know, even though our, you're right, our journeys with our Toms and their ALS journeys are, are different. Mine was really super fast. I mean, all things considered six years, but you know, he was tricked and vented in the first, you know, by year three, between year three and four, but we have a lot of similar feelings
1: mm-hmm.
0: as we journey through this, even though our experiences are a little different, well, I we still have, have feel, those similar feelings.
1: I think you can feel isolated when you're, um, when you're really busy too. And mm-hmm. i satisfied that this is what your busyness is you didn't grow up to be as busy for that reason and achieve all the things that you did and all the work that you did. and now I'm clearing somebody's suction out. and I'm not and I'm not saying that to about the person that you care for because that's an entirely different conversation. you you did what you did because you loved them, you were committed to them. you you couldn't, I just said this recently about because November is a month of the recognizing the family caregiver that I could, I couldn't have, there was no other, there is no other choice for me, but then to do what I'm doing. That's all that you could, that is enough. If you don't understand that, then I don't know how to help you with that. There is no other choice for me. Is there other choice that other people can make? Absolutely. But there is no other choice for me than to do what I'm doing now, what I do at the time that Tom's in there, and it feels isolating, and it feels challenging to me to be by myself like this. It's up to me to figure out how to fill it. And I've, I've done a pretty good job. It's not always fulfilling. And I still have lots of feelings of grief. I I feel lost in my own little world. Sometimes I feel sad that I'm that days pass me by, that I can never get back again, that I I can't leave here and go do the things that I want to do with a comfort level that I should be able to, and then also still be here for him. So again, that comes to my one choice is to be here for him. That's the only choice that there is for me. It's up to me to figure out how to do the, the rest and to do the work on the feelings that I have, which I think that I... I'm working on that through therapy.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I, I see that one of the, when I was gone over the, um, the end of last week, there was a conversation with someone and I just made the offhanded comment about, you know, we don't run into caregiving. Um, That was Remy. We don't run into caregiving like, you know, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm so excited. It's
1: the, it's Laura's dogs agreeing with us. They're, they're chatting in the background. She has, Laura has two German shepherds who are sometimes chatty when we're podcasting and there's there's sort of like the grumbling audience in the background
0: (laughs) sorry about that I'm usually really good they usually no one's walking in front of my house and someone walked in front of our house and my pups went crazy (laughs) that's okay we love pups yeah but what I was saying is is I was trying to explain this guy he's like because you know there's a there's a lot of like oh my god that's amazing that you did that you know you should be commended you know you were a you know, you're part of this is I'm like, well, I didn't run into being a caregiver. Like, it's not like something I wanted to do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I did it because like you said, I felt that I didn't have, there wasn't another option. I was his wife and I was there in sickness and in health and I would take care of him. But I think maybe people don't understand. Sometimes we do it especially when it goes on a very long time, you're kind of reluctant. You know, it's, it's not something that brings you joy every day to be the one that is suctioning or showering or toileting and doing those, those activities of daily living.
1: Yes. There's a lot of big feelings that come along with it. Um, I mean, I so when I, when I look back at the time I cared for Tom before he had ALS, and even in the first two years of ALS, it was very different than it is now. Well, I really moved forward in my life, but for a lot of reasons, I had to move forward. I had to help provide food, you know, money to put food on the table, and um, I, I had to be active. You know, I was in my 30s, so I certainly had to, hadn't had finished my education, and I did that. And that was one way for me to cope with the big feelings I had or the losses we had of him not being able to work. Mm, there was a lot of moving forward, in there a lot of planning. Well, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to get this degree, and so I'm going to work toward this degree. Like, oh, you're always working towards something. For me, when I'm working towards something, it gives me a sense of the future, that there's a future there. Uh And he didn't need help with ADLs in that way. He needed help with, you know, paying the bills and organizing days. If you got him organized and you wrote a couple of things down and you kind of kept tabs on them, he would be okay. He had a very small thing, you know, it's very small window with which to work, but he could be left alone all day, He go to the bathroom, he put his pants on he'd get dressed. He could do all those ADLs. It was the other stuff in life that he couldn't do that well. He could easily get lost, he could get confused, he couldn't stay on task. But that's very different than what we have now. That's a very yeah. different life. And so for that sometimes that reason alone puts you in this much smaller group of people who are have been caregivers, who had been caregivers and who are caregivers. I would I would venture to say that. Um, caregivers of people of Alzheimer's feel very similar to what we do what 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 you do now when you think back, how you feel now, and how I feel currently going through it. Mm-hmm. It's isolating. It's hard to break the isolation too. So what I'm grateful for doing this podcast, and we could talk about that, do our our gratitude. I'm grateful that we have this podcast. I like knowing that other people are listening to our story that it helps them to feel that they feel less alone because we sound like they do in their head. You know, it's their story too. It's got a little different things. They have a different name. They have different color eyes. They look different than we do, but essentially they feel a lot like we do. Human feelings can be so common among us.
0: Yeah. And just that connectedness during such a, a hard portion of your life, transition in your life is important when I reached out to you on Thursday night, it was you I needed to talk to. It wasn't, it wasn't my sisters. It wasn't other caregivers. It was someone who totally understood where I was coming from. Not that I would get sympathy from you, but you were very empathetic Mm. to just that feeling of, Facing larger groups. I mean, we'll put a name to it. I mean, it's social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I, I had it. And for me, it's frustrating because I've never dealt with that. As far as, you know, pre ALS, I could walk into large groups of people. I could do conferences and not know a soul and just start talking to someone. But It was you I needed to talk to um, just to kind of have someone validate what I was going through and maybe, and you did help me put names and have better understanding of of the why, because I was in my head going, but I used to, could do this. Why am I not able to do this? I was looking forward to this. I was wanting to do this. I brought a lot of great outfits to do this. (laughs) Um, And it just didn't turn out. And, and that goes back to what we talked about the last episode of giving yourself grace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it is, it is a, it's a practice. It, it absolutely is. Cause I think in the moment by calling you, I wasn't giving myself that grace until you stopped and said, you're giving yourself grace. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I am not putting myself into a really uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. That is going to feed my anxiety and make things worse down the road for me. We're just stopping it now. And I'm taking care of myself now.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a beautiful thing. I, I think to be able to give ourselves grace, even little tiny bits of grace is really good. But when we can be there for
0: ourselves in the big moments, that really matters. Yeah, but it, you know, that's why I think like you were saying this podcast is is important because it it's a connectedness. It 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 hopefully will connect other people. Maybe they don't have someone a Mary or a Laura they can call. But they can see that some of their feelings are exactly what we're feeling. We don't have it all together. You know, we are we are trying to figure this journey out just like everybody else. But what we have done is, is we have connected with each other we to provide. Yeah. We I'm hope sorry. we connect with our listeners too. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think you need that. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not the can answer when we say, you know, we're sorry for your loss or I really do understand what you're going through or, um, I had someone actually the base commander at the space came up to me and mentioned he understood the journey that he had taken care of his mom with ALS. And I, in that moment, I went, I, I see you. I I'm sure that is very, that was difficult for you to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was a very authentic, genuine. Um, you know, interaction between us. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think there were some where people were just like, Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss and, and no no eye contact, you know, it was very uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad that he said that to you. Me too. I, I think that I, I, and that is something I have found. I had a couple of people come up to me and say, I know the journey, my best friend had ALS and that was just in this small group mm-hmm. on Friday morning. I had probably a handful of people that approached me after I, t- after I told the story of, of our ALS journey mm-hmm. that said they, you know, they understood the ALS connection, which is always crazy. Cause you think to yourself, isn't this supposed to be a super duper rare disease
1: yeah, how rare is it? Ah. And I'm
0: in a room of maybe 150 people, and five have come up with me, come up to me, and they've had like you know, very close relationships with people that had ALS.
1: That's nuts. Mm-hmm. I don't really know too many people in my life who have, but I don't really I don't get out anymore though. So there you go. Right, you
0: don't have a life. I don't. I, don't <laughs> I just have the life. I didn't know anybody with ALS when Tom was diagnosed. I only knew ALS as the ice bucket challenge and I knew it was terminal. That was it.
1: I forgot he wasn't diagnosed until after the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Tom did his own um, video of the ice bucket challenge and I have it on YouTube. (laughs) It's a long time ago. It was funny. Well, Tom Ward had another quote maybe we could leave this on the podcast here cuz i was i was talking about you know making plans we don't make plans like we used to we don't travel which is a plan right planning the future planning travel i was thinking about when you guys you and tom were traveling after his diagnosis with als and we we did travel but we don't anymore so that's the difference and so how do you how do you move forward if you're not planning for the future Like, what are you doing? Which I, so I am doing that with the cottage cottage at Mare Haven. That is true. I am doing that, but I miss the bigger plans. Right. And, and I was just lamenting that because that's just the way I am. It's going to pop into my head and I'm going to lament something. So here's what Tom says about the future with every beat of your heart, you're living in the future. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's how he thinks. Now, that's
0: what he Love that.
1: Yeah, I'll put it on our in our show notes. With every beat of your heart, you're living in the future.
0: I think you need to print that on one of your bookmarks and sell it. You think? I do.
1: I can't really put it on. I can't print on my bookmarks. You need and to figure think, something out. I can put it on a five by seven. Okay. I can do that. I I don't love making bookmarks. <laughs> I must say, I'm not. I mean. I think I do a really great job, and I think they're really pretty. If you see them in person, you would really you, you love them much more than the photos. They're tough to photograph. A lot of things are tough to photograph in fine art. It's tough to photograph uh, Tom's oil paintings to get the true colors, the blues, the blues, the greens, the greens, and uh, the oranges are just wicked to try and photograph. This is why they have a whole field of fine art photography, you know, some, or photographing art. In and of itself, like you could see um, a Van Gogh um, painting, and somebody's image of it looks completely different of somebody else's of the same same painting. You know, it's very difficult to do, which I do find with the bookmarks. They're not really my most creative effort. I might really, really like best when I can do my photography, and I did a little birthday card for somebody who asked if I would send a bookmark to her friend who's having a birthday. And could I put a little note in there from her two kids, her two little kids? And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking, I don't really want to do that. My handwriting is horrifying. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even, I can't stand looking at my own handwriting. So I made a little card. I used a uh, birthday a photograph of a birthday cake that Kate made for me. She makes bakery style birthday cakes, but they taste better than from a bakery. And I had taken photos of it and I, I printed, I, I put it, I put it on my computer. I got it into Canva and I, I put the message on there and I printed it and it was, it was pretty good. It could be a lot better. You know, anytime you do something the first or second time it's you've got to work on stuff like that artistically, it's pretty good for a long time. And she said to me, I said, I sent her a picture of it and she said, I think you have like maybe you have a line of greedy cards coming. And I was like, that's so funny. Like, that's not even how I think of myself. (laughs) I've been a landscape photographer for years. I can't even imagine greeting cards, but I could put quotes on them and I could sell them without the backings or the frames. So I could sell the the prints for $12. Yeah.
0: They gotta be 25 when I sell them on. I I think with Tom as the person, you could get some really good quotes. Yeah, he had another good one too what was it i don't have I don't if i don't
1: write it down i wrote it down on a napkin this one about i love f- it because i usually don't remember oh well, it was his idea for the seeds you know um watch me grow to put that on with my logo to put that on this uh-huh. seed. and seeds of hope which is also his so i prefer all those things than the bookmark lane, but a lot of people like the bookmark, so I guess that's not going anywhere. Mm-mm. No, they're cute. They work, I guess. But anyway, I'll put this on one. I don't know what photo I'll use for it, or I don't know how I'll make it look good. Maybe I'll put it in a heart.
0: Uh-huh. There you go. I get it.
1: All right, so there we go another podcast episode 11 yes that's crazy we'll we'll call this one i don't know what do you want to call it
0: i don't know mary here's a creative one between us all right i'll come up with something come up with something
1: yeah living in the future maybe no because we talk a lot about sympathy and empathy you know yeah we could say we'll call it ICU. you I see you. Okay. Empathy is I see you. That's what that's what that phrase means in my in my thoughts, in my heart. That that's what it means. I see you it says everything. Yeah, and we see our our listeners. Yeah, we do. All right. Till the next time. Bye, Mary. Bye. Bye.